under plastic, where the preamble ramble gets longer every time, and we love it. <laughs> we love you for loving it. <laughs> I I I wish I would have gone dun da da dun dun da 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 dun. I, I I caught on like halfway through that you oh you were doing the the rhythm in your head and I was like oh I could have done that yeah, yeah. It, again there's there's zero planning John had no idea what I was gonna do <laughs> just like Disney princesses last time we're going hair metal this time you know yeah I like to mix it up what's new in your world Scooty Poo oh buddy this last weekend I went to the Simon Expo at the Game Center where they had the US Natties for a song of ice and fire. So so it was the Natty Ice. It was yeah. <laughs> US Nationals were, were at Game Center in Roseville, Minnesota, so right in my backyard and I had time to play there were seven six games played and I could, I had time to play three of them on day 1 and so I went and showed up for those three games. I went 1 and 2, so not a, not a winning record. But I had so much more fun this time than I did last time. I don't know why that was. Maybe because I maybe perceived that I was going to do better last time. And this time I kind of just went in knowing I wanted to have fun. I, I've played a single season three game. So I don't really know. Like, I, got, I played a Stark player and I, I, I totally forgot what Stark does. Um, so I wasn't going to do well. But I had a lot of fun. Got, got a W under my belt. Round uh, round three. Round three was against good old Dan Molson. Oh, fucking Danimals the animals. Yeah, he collector playing. of rocks. Collector of rocks. Yes. Uh, so th- it was uh, it was a great time. I uh, I met with uh, Pete and Adam from Cool Money or Not, and they were just super nice. All the people there were were super nice. Uh, Brett, the guy who's running the the competition or the tournament, is an amazing Song of Ice and Fire player. Uh, he was also just a great a great TO for the event. And uh, Mickey Maserath online, who's like the greatest song player right now, he made the trip over from England here, and he he did win it all. Sadly, a British person is winning U.S. Nationals. Wow. But, but I will say that the person he was fighting against was someone from our local area here nice. in Minnesota. Um, and he was playing Targaryen, which doesn't mean much to you, but right now Targaryen isn't in a great spot. So it was really cool to see a free folk player and a Targaryen player playing in the finals and not a Night's Watch player or a Lannister player. So it was cool. It was cool to see the mix up. Free fuck, huh? Yeah, dude. Oh, man. Okay, maybe he got that. Maybe he's got that counter meta, right? Mm. The Targaryen might not be powerful, but they're powerful against the things that the other powerful things are. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. There's that. And also, Targaryens have dragons, baby. <laughs> like, oh. No one else got dragons, and they're good. They're still good. Word on the street is dragons equals dead dudes. Yes. And dragons and Drogo is, is I feel like, always going to be a great combo. Yeah. I mean, other people are just using dudes. Yeah, dude. You don't bring dudes to a dragon fight. Yeah, old white dudes against dragons. <laughs> Come on. GG, bro. Uh, okay. So how many people were at this tournament? Is there a lot of people? It was a 59-player event. Uh, they actually sold out the 120 slots because a lot of them had gone to people who had qualified and won other events. They didn't like make sure they were coming. They assumed they were coming, and they didn't show up. And so there was a ton of available space uh, if you were actually able to show up that uh, was not accounted for. Uh, so it was a 60-player tournament approximately, which is the biggest one I've ever been in. Cool. I mean, that's, that's no joke for number yeah. of players. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. But that every game, not every game, most games that Simon makes in the play area, just out and set up with like employees there to help you demo the games if you want to check them out. They had Mordred there, their new Arthurian lore game based on like the timeline where Mordred wins and like he's like controlling Camelot and like shit's like hitting the fan. 
And so there's a lot of cool things you could do. I got a big old swag bag, had a bunch of cool stuff in it as well. Oh, sweet. It was a great time. Is there anybody there to talk to them about the returning of Crystal Brush? Uh, I did. I mentioned to Pete like that. I was like, you guys are doing that in Thailand? And he was like, yeah, we're doing that. I kind of wanted to ask him if he would uh, if he would fly me out to Thailand for a little cheeky crystal brush. Yeah, come on, man. That'd be, that'd be Listen, uh, let me paint my soggy bottom boys here and bring them out to crystal brush. <laughs> soggy <laughs> bottom boys. Yeah. So I mean, God, that's just a that's just a great theme for you to do for the rest of your soggy bottom boys here. Let's call him that. I thought you was a toad. <laughs> I do not get this reference. Oh man, it's uh, Oh Brother Where Thou. Oh, okay. I have Don't not seen that. Sorrow. I have not seen that movie, but I am I am very aware of it. Okay. Yeah, you need to watch it. Do I? There's yeah. a lot of movies that I need to watch. You man. need to watch it. Like Training Day, check that off the list. Got Next. It. Oh, Brother Art though. Okay. Okay. You need to watch that one. Okay. Okay. And what do I got here? What do I got to talk about today? Uh, another full day tattoo session. Uh last Friday. Mm. Um, so we started working on the lion. On my upper arm. Um, I saw. I saw the classic soap wipe away reveal yeah. shot. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that was it. So, well, six plus hours sitting on the table, and it didn't. <laughs> there's still a lot to go on that one. But Damn. I probably have two, at least two more full sessions. I have two more full sessions booked and uh, paid, not paid for, but down payment made on. So, one in middle October, one in middle November. So by VinciCon, I should be pretty close to getting my sleeve done. But um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a process. Yeah, uh, this one there was uh, some filler stuff that is right on the elbow, and so the start of the session was just tattooing my elbow. And um, he's really smart. Suki is he's my tattoo artist. In that, at the start of my session, no matter what I'm doing, he starts with the most painful area. Um, like the time where he did the inside of the wrist here, he started with that. Yeah. The next session he started the, what do they call it, the ditch in my <laughs> elbow. He started with that. And at first I was like, oh man, it just feels like the whole session is just gonna fucking suck because it sucks so much at the beginning, but it's not. Because as the hours go on, it's just like, it's compounding. It doesn't matter if you're moving areas. It's like the compounding soreness and just rawness yeah. just adds up and adds up. And if you end with that, I was like, I would have been tapping, but I did not. He had his apprentice there, which was really interesting because he was like explaining a lot of things to her and like a lot of how he uses different tips and different shaders. And he does like his own mixes of creating shades that are not just out of the bottle for different opacities um, and how he did what he did. It was just really interesting um, to try to focus on listening to that and not on the pain of my elbow. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was – he was like – but it made me feel better too because he was finishing out the elbow and she was like, okay. Um, she was asking him some questions and he's like, oh, but usually when you do that elbow like that, it's going to be a lot more squirming and stuff, but he doesn't move. And it's really good. I was like, I felt like a real tough guy. Oh, yeah, like, you're a tough fucking, guy. You know, fuck me. You can fucking shoot me in the shoulder, and I'll be like Van Damme. I just keep going. <laughs> I can take it. For the I rest can of take the, it. rest of the movie. Um, <laughs> frozen Pop-Tarts. Okay, next thing I wrote down was Frozen Pop-Tarts. Dude, I heard a, a little hack that uh, Pop-Tarts taste amazing fro frozen, so I had to buy a box of S'mores Pop-Tarts. You ever had a Frozen Pop-Tart before? No. You like Pop-Tarts? 
Yeah, they're they're good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like like I like Pop Tarts, but I know they're so terrible for you that I just never want to buy them because I know I'll eat them. They're the equivalent of eating a Snickers for breakfast. I've yeah, heard that. Yeah. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard Sounds that. about right. If you eat both of them, for sure. <laughs> yeah, there's two in that package. Frozen Pop Tarts, fucking two thumbs up, dude. Yeah? Yeah. What what changes about them? Um the consistency of a couple things changes. So the frosting that's on top, it gets like a nice almost like a snap crunch to it. Okay. While okay. still like holding the flavor and then the inside turns to like this like gel it's like a really nice texture is it especially cold like, no they're the not a little colder than the outside uh yeah the out yeah yes the outside is colder but like the actual pastry itself isn't like crispy like a frozen snickers bar. interesting yeah it's colder and has a little bit more snap to it but like the texture is nice and it doesn't f- taste quite so like chemically you know because those things are like eh, what what is this preservatives are in these things yeah yeah, yeah. um so it's keeping it alive so i thought i'd share that golden nugget of wisdom <laughs> with the goody pps freeze your pop tarts uh you'll thank me for it later and the last thing i want to talk about in pre Ramble, i've had for a while now i've been a, a little bug in my bonnet about trying to get back to painting something for a game um painting something that i'll be using at the tabletop in addition to like one-offs of D and D characters and stuff, but it's, I don't really count that. Although I probably should, because um, I end up using those way more than I use um, stuff for miniature war games. But I'm making a leap into Kill Team, baby. So, I think Kill Team is the right GW game to pick. Yeah, I like Warcry as well, and I'm gonna do a Warcry Warband. But I just was really struggling on what to pick for Warcry because mm-hmm. there's a lot of those out of the box, fresh out of the box ones that War cry teams that look badass Mm -hmm. but i also think like from a rules perspective i think those ones are usually like shittier at the game than just like picking like a faction and building your team around the best versions of the models that are in those factions yeah dude my vampire the soul blight team in Warcry is fucking insane like the standard blood knights have so many hit points it's crazy how you would get through like two vampires in a game i don't know how you would um so I kind of felt that when I played it the one or two times I played it. Blood Knights feel like the ideal unit in that game because in the times that I've played it before, um, it really felt like having movement, having cav was really good because getting around to places is really important. If you have like hard-to-kill cav that also can dish out some damage, that just feels like a really strong thing. Cause I yeah. remember when Sam and I played and he was doing playing at this Stormcast, like – them moving like four inches it was just like if they got to you they could lock you down or they could put a hurting on you but i was just kind of like neener, 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 neener. Yeah. my boner boys on horses were just like get me the fuck away from you yeah go steal those points over there yeah i think the one thing that Warcry has to try to balance that out is that they often have elevation in the game and mm-hmm. cav can't go up elevation in the oh. game at all i don't think yeah yeah um I, that's why the ghosty boys are probably good because they could just like float anywhere they don't have to go, go up that's and their sp- speed is out their spoopy speed is really pretty <laughs> Spooper speed, dude! Moving at spooper speed across this bridge, right over there to that little coin that we all need to stand on because yeah, apparently that's that, that fucking coin, dude. dude everyone's got to stand on coins. And it's just like, oh man, that'd be hilarious. We do a skit 
a skit that's like a <laughs> complete reenactment of like World War II. Like a battle, but yeah, everyone's just like standing on a fucking coin. Yeah. Yeah, just like running for running for like the, the, the trenches in the World War One warfare. And you just go you jump into the trench and there's yeah. just like three German dudes standing on a coin there. Yeah, yeah, and it's like it's like a light up coin and then like fucking changes and everyone like fucking runs to the next one and they're like fuck and like they go somewhere else. They just leave. They don't even yeah. shoot each other. Yeah, they yeah, yeah, yeah. They're kinda of like tripping each other on the way to the next coin. <laughs> Yeah, that's, kind of, that's funny. Just up in the corner of the screen and just says like CP or some shit. It's just <laughs> blue. Yeah. Turns over See to two. Score in the sky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that. Oh no. So yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of my my jam right now. So we're doing a kill team, and uh, I'm doing space space marines, and uh, partially because they had this cool box because. Uh, they just come in these Warhammer heroes come in a box and then they all have a data card or whatever they play for the game and together they make a kill team and there's different guys there's like a one reaver guy there's one sniper guy there's it's a good mix yeah and they're because they're kind of like sculpted kind of like the underworlds war bands where they're all like a very unique different pose and sculpt and stuff I'm like I'm not gonna get bored with this also they come on a sculpted base like underworld so I don't have to worry about building the base there you go dude and I'm just like oh then I gotta go to this problem of figuring out which freaking which freaking chapter I'm gonna pick freaking so are these models only obtainable from this set yeah, I think so. Okay. Typically, the Warhammer Heroes ones are they're like individual dudes in a blind box. Mm-hmm. You don't know which one you're getting. It's like colored you're... plastic too. Sometimes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, they're yeah. like a blue plastic. Okay. I I think so. Unless they maybe I would guess because in the past they've never come out with those in a different set, as far as I know. Like okay. there's just a one way to get them. But do they um, have sculpted chapter markers on their shoulder pads or like on their belts or like? Oh, I did not check that. Okay. I did not check that. I I will may have to check that. If you're stuck with ultramarines, are you gonna are you gonna dip into it? Shave those fuckers off. (laughs) I'm gonna do. I painted enough. I painted ultramarines of the terminators from that new box. That's true. Do you have a favorite loyalist chapter? No, no. I like. I I think like the emo. uh, What are they? Raven. Ravenwing. Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw. Yeah, Ravenclaw. I think it's called. I think it's Ravenwing. No, no it's not Ravenwing. It's not Ravenwing. It's not Ravenclaw though. That's fucking Harry Potter, bro. <laughs> I would just name him Ravenclaw and just paint him. Like- <laughs> what the? What's the? Sh- Shrike. Shrike is the chapter master of this place. It's Raven is in their name. It is. <laughs> I feel so stupid right now. Space Marine Shrike. Uh, his name is Caven Shrike. Ravenguard. Shrek. Oh, so close. Yeah. K- K- yeah. 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 Shrek. Shrek of Ravenguard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, so those, but their their color scheme is pretty boring. Yeah, but they are, you know, they're the cool emo boys. That's cool. Yeah, I, I think I like Black Templar and Dark Angels. I kind of see them as one thing because they they seem very similar in like design aesthetic. Um, I like those guys, but uh, yeah, yeah. We, now we get to what we painted. It's a good transition here, is because I I painted a different uh, a different best marine, and I was originally gonna paint him Dark Angels. And I decided instead to paint him Salamander just because I wanted a more vibrant version of the color because I thought that that would help showcase weathering, which is the point of the video of using weathering pencils for all different kinds of weathering on the model. Um, That having a brighter central tone would help show some of the weathering better, whether it's pretty muted or dark like Dark Angels are. You can kind of miss some things. Mm. So I, that's what I, I decided to do with him, and I was pretty, I was pretty happy with that. But the weathering pencils are really an interesting animal. Um, there's a lot of t- 
testing and I did watch some videos and did some research on like how to use them. And I was kind of surprised how much variety, once you kind of figure out how the tool works and then how you want to go about it, there's a lot more variability, especially when you start working in a damp or a dry brush into the workflow process to feather out, to create streaking, to um, push it where you want, remove it if it got too much in one area. Um, so yeah, I've got layers of chipping on there. I've got layers of dust. I've got a couple different colors of rust. I've got some verdigris and some dust on the gun. Um, and honestly, it was, I really enjoyed it because it's, I could have like a handful of pencils out and I could knock out and kind of like work quickly with the different colors, like kind of all simultaneously. And just, it felt like I could get a variety of different effects pretty quickly okay. as opposed to if I'm working with enamels or anything that requires a mineral spirits um, or pigment powders, you often don't really have a lot of control over a pigment powder um, using acrylics to do weathering is absolutely doable, but you are on a much tighter time restraint in terms of until the thing just dries and then it's just, it is what it is. What is this? Um, just weathering with acrylics as opposed oh, to these. Oh, these, yeah, yeah. these are, so these are grease based water soluble, meaning you can reactivate them with a damp brush, hmm. even as, as they're drying or after they've dried and they, it takes, 24 to 48 hours to fully cure and then they're just set for good but like i uh, the big thing that i really like was i could go heavier handed on the rust stuff and just remove until it felt right okay whereas usually when i'm doing weathering and stuff the worry is i don't want to overdo it because you kind of just cover up you gotta sneak up on it yeah yeah and then oftentimes that sneak up process feels like it ends up taking me more time than i wanted to spend on this step yeah where i don't need to sneak I can just dampen the pencil, jab it all around, and then remove and reposition and streaking or whatever until I like it. And so yeah, so I watched that video too, and I was curious. Um, did you ever consider like sharpening the pencils like so they're super sharp, so you could literally draw into a recess to like get it more accurate? Because when when I saw you applying it, it was kind of like you were applying it pre-wetted so it was like kind of like a paint almost and then kind of like doing that subtraction step with with the yeah. brush did you ever try sharpening it sharpening it i i didn't the reason why and that would certainly work um one thing that from the research i did is that their lead is actually fairly soft okay and so you would want to do it with like a really really sharp hobby knife because uh, as a without the worry of like you're just going to snap the thing off as you're trying to shave it. Okay. Um, but once you dampen it, it gets kind of the texture of it gets kind of muddy. Like the tip, the whole tip, you kind of like yes. Okay. Um, which is good because that allows a a thicker amount to get off. Um, but if, if you were to sharpen it, you probably could get more and exact and, and stuff and probably do a better job of getting really exact on the chipping. I wanted to try it from a like, um, how good is my initial, how good is the initial effect without really fucking with it a bunch and how efficient is this as a fairly fast way to do mm -hmm. um, weathering across, you know, when you have a unit of 20 of these dudes or whatever, is it something that you can replicate? Because otherwise if you're getting into too much like high level weathering, I actually think this stuff would really work for high level weathering. I plan on trying it for display stuff, but um, 
if it can go do a job relatively quickly and create interesting effects that doesn't require mineral spirits. I was pretty happy with that. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of fun, and it was uh, didn't take a, a ton of time. I did spritz from below, if you saw in the video, of, of the purple for the shadows, and it, you can't really, it doesn't read anywhere as purple, but it just creates a shadow as opposed to dark green over a vibrant green. It just creates just a little bit of depth um, that I really think um, it just creates a little bit more color interest in the model. Definitely. So There was one person that, was, that commented on your video, and they were like, thank you for trying out pencils like i know it's not for me and then i looked at the end result you got and i looked at i'm looking at it now in person and i'm just like this just looks like a weathered model i i, I don't know if like the result is like oh yeah you use colored pencils right so like you kind of got a similar weathered effect to pigments or to acrylic paint but yeah. just an easier way to get there so i didn't get that person's comment because it just seems like a pretty good weathered effect yeah it was like anything, it was learning. And by the time I had finished the whole model, I'm like, okay, I think I started to get the hang of how these work. Yeah, yeah. And like anything, there is an on-ramp to kind of figure out how to use the tool yep. and things that worked and didn't work. And I know the thing that kind of excites me about them is I feel like the ocean is deeper and I've just kind of scratched the surface yep. with them, which is cool because those kinds of things, you don't have to push your education in. You just... As you use them, you'll kind of discover things at your own speed. Um, but just, like, pull them out of the drawer, fuck around with something, and I felt like it was... I didn't feel like I was ever going to get myself into a situation where it was going to take me a ton of work to fix something or unfuck something. <laughs> and that, to me, is a, a kind of product that I find myself grabbing more often if I feel like the the potential issues I can get myself into... I can't easily get myself out of this is oftentimes things like just jumping on throwing on a thick oil wash on something I know if I fuck that up it's like there's certain things I can't undo there it like tints the surface pretty aggressively sometimes especially on lighter colors yeah I mean you can't remove all of that either yeah. like you know once it's in there this guy is even if I painted every other step the exact same this guy is going to look different than the other nine so you're able to remove the rust color without it influencing the surface at all. You're able to do 100% subtraction when you wanted to. Is yeah, that what you're like there's a this whole back of that shoulder pad right there. It was basically the whole back half. I had put the whole stuff on, and I removed it entirely off some, and I did some streaking and fading off the rest of the back. But as long as you like rinse your brush, dampen it, and then pull it off, and repeat that step with the clean brush, you can keep pulling it off. Okay. Or you can streak it down, or you can you can maneuver it. I wanted I would take some and I'd like grab it and pull it down into the crack more, and so there would be run that line of rust color along the crack further right, so instead like of it being up higher with that greasy stuff, and then yeah, it and spread then it, out more, and then it feathers it out more because more water is then added as it, it goes down that line. There's just there's some nuance to it that it's it's not like a it's not a hammer that it just hits. Um, there's some fiddling with it, but it was pretty, also, it's pretty quick to, to work with. So, um, and I also made the mistake of calling this gun he's using a Melta instead of a Flamer. It's very clearly not a Melta. Yeah, Come so on, bro. to all the people that uh, made that comment that I called it the wrong thing, because I know a Melta is a thing in Warhammer and assumed that this gun that's a flamethrower, that's what a Melta is, is, was a grave mistake on my part. <laughs> <laughs> Did you paint anything? I painted nothing. I went to New York City. 
and then I came back and it was Friday and I answered a bunch of emails and then it was a weekend and then I didn't do any hopping on the weekend because I played in the U.S. Nationals and then chilled on Sunday and now we're here. It's Monday. We're recording the podcast. Yeah, that that's that happens some weeks. So I, I didn't get a chance to paint anything, but while I was flying, I read half of my <laughs> my third book on game design here called Board. It's called Board Game Design Advice, and I didn't know how this book was formatted. I just bought it. It was recommended by someone who I really uh, look up to about board game design. And the way this is formatted is it's the same 10 or 8 questions asked to all of like the lead designers in the industry. So like the interesting the guy who made Pandemic and Pandemic Legacy is oh. answering these questions and like other other huge names in the industry and like Jamie Stegmeier who makes all the Stonemeyer games, he answered the questions too. And so reading reading all of their responses back to back to back to back to back, you can start to see a lot of commonalities in the answers, which is great. But it makes me feel like the more I read, the less I get out of it. Um, so this is this is really good. It's like if you have a specific question about like the design process and you want to see a bunch of like really accoladed people and their their answer to it, this is an amazing resource. And I think he even says it in the beginning. The guy, the author Gabe Barrett. I think he says it's not necessarily designed to be like read front to back, but it's more like when you have a question, come here and look at the answers. Hmm. Um, but I'm reading it back to back. I don't really mind. It's a fast read. Um, There's a lot of great advice. And I wanted to share some things that I learned from it that I, I really appreciated. Um, there was one answer that, that said, always think about how your game's depth can be reached faster. So it's oh. like, it's like I, you don't want to like hide the intricacy of your game from your player to, to discover. Some of that is unavoidable, but the faster you can get your player into that pocket, the faster they can really start to munch on that mental puzzle that is your game right so that, that that was that was cool advice oh but and then if, if it takes too long to get there how many people are you going to lose before they really can fully experience what your game is exactly yeah yeah and oftentimes getting to that thing is where the feeling and emotion of the game comes from it's like what you designed the player to experience and so they never get there they never get to really experience what you designed so that was kind of an interesting thing um another one was art is a conversation between the artist and the user um, what is this? What is this word? Pandering to any intermediary diminishes the value of the work. And I was just like, wow, that's so, that's true for so many fucking things. Like even videos, mm. any kind of pandering to anything other than the viewer takes away from the viewer's experience. Whether that be like ads, whether that be a sponsorship that dictates the content in any way, it's like any any outside force that's going to influence your game is going to muddy those waters. So trying to limit that as much as possible so your vision comes through as clear as possible is uh, is a thing to think about at least. It's like the uh, obvious product placement in movies when they just keep doing the close up on the Ford logo on the truck every right. time it comes into frame. Or yeah, they're obviously drinking from a can of Coke in every scene, and it, it kills that suspension of disbelief. And so, yeah. if you take people out of that suspension, then they're like, "Oh, I'm watching a movie now. This is no longer I'm not, no longer immersed in it." But yeah, there, there's there's that works for so many different uh, walks of life. I'm so thirsty for a refreshing cola drink at this mm. very moment. I don't <laughs> know why. Yeah, they play that sound effect right before the movie starts, like that, like, and it's like, it's like, like the ice cube and like the fizz. Yeah, yeah. Ah, now I remember. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, they play it right before the movie starts yeah. every single time at AMC theaters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm doing, uh, instead of painting, I did some looking into the board game uh, design. I've been writing rules down for my game as well that I haven't really been sharing around a ton because uh, I, I just want to keep them a secret until I make the video. 
Um, and then uh, I've been also been doing a lot of 3D printing stuff. So I've been uh, finding other resins that are supposed to be like the perfect wargaming 3D printing resin. That's like the right level of flexibility, the right level of cost, the right level of detail retention, ease of use. So I've bought a couple and I'm going to do some comparisons here so I can have like a resin that I like for printing display models, which I've already discovered, and a resin that I like for doing wargaming models. And maybe I'll discover that the wargaming resin is just as good as the display model resin, and there's no fucking point to keep using it. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to some of those tests. I, I picked up Amerilabs TGM7, which is insanely expensive. I picked up Sunlu, which um, which is a much more price-performant one people recommend. I picked up um, one from Sriatech Tech called Fast Gray. People like fast the fast ones from Sriatech. Tech. Are we I doing like, some I yeah, experiments? I like, I like oh, I had one. I had a link open. Did you get one from... Is this company Res Resion? Resion is th- my display model one. Yeah, so I have. Uh, they have one that's. Uh, yeah, th- I saw that they had different ones. Oh, do they? Okay, I I didn't really look into their lineup at all. I have the M70 Precision one, the like the salmon orange one. Yes, M70. That was the one that I looked at for there. But they also have like a like a gray one or a uh, gray tough ABS like 3D printing resin. They call it. They have long, one? long lasting tough. Resin I, medium gray. Honestly, Frozen and Elegoo's standard offerings aren't too bad. Um, they're they're kind of flexible, so like those are even in the running as well. Uh, I have those by default though because they come with the printers that I have. Yeah, the f- maybe it's well, the one that I use now is the Frozen Eight K Aqua. Yeah, and that one that one people talk about that is is pretty good. Yeah, I I mean in terms of like detail quality and crispness, it's good. Yeah, it is. It is fairly rigid, though. It's is it? Sm- it's small pieces will snap pretty okay. easily. Okay. I'll say that because my poor bunny's sword was made from that. And oh, snapped no. right off. Well, I did drop it from a height of two feet on the <laughs> table, probably directly onto that small bit. bit. But yeah, although I've had some other big or fiddly, like fiddly little, actually like dragon whiskers from a different same manufacturer, Cobra Mode Miniatures. They have this awesome like uh, Asian dragon, and it has whiskers that are like, thin around is like a, a clicky pencil lead and they wisp and move and those have a nice bend to them and I have not snapped those. So maybe that resin does fine. Okay. I don't know. Maybe if, they, if there's like less of it, then it's more flexible. The more that builds up, the more stiff it becomes. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. It. But yeah, I've, I've liked that stuff, but yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to hear that because that means that someone else is doing the work instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Out of the main topic for today, um, we're talking about how a lot of people in the hobby and maybe even in other hobbies view a lot of rules, both unwritten and literally written rules as sacrosanct, which is a fun word that I had to look up. Uh, what does sacrosanct mean? Sacrosanct means it's so important that it cannot be changed. Uh, and it's usually in regards to policies, uh, either religious or government related. Okay, um, so th- with without this, it ceases to be what it is. Be what it is. Yeah, it finds its identity in in these rules. Okay. And so where this question came from was, I got a comment on my Age of Sigmar video, and someone was like, "I'm confused. If you don't like the double turn rule, why don't you just play without it?" And I was like. That's a great question, and I think that is something that we can explore more. Because, like, I feel a certain degree of commitment to playing the latest and greatest general handbook version of the game. And I'm like, why is that? Like, why 
why do people like to do that? Why do people, when they see other people breaking the rules, maybe get a little bit of distaste in their mouth for it? Why do people feel the need to commit to box art painting schemes? Why do people feel the need to commit to models for a specific game? Why do people like, why don't we see more people like buying proxies or using whatever models they want? Why are people committed to, um, I mean, using the bits in the box, like there's a lot of reasons of just like convenience why people do that. But other people feel like a certain responsibility to a company to use the things that that company makes for the game. Mm. And I, and aside from convenience, I'm curious why that is. And, and I have some answers. Maybe, maybe I'll get us started here. Okay. When it comes to games, my theory is that everyone wants to be able to talk about a shared experience, mm -hmm. right? And so if I'm going to play a game in Age of Sigmar, I want to talk about that game with other people. And then if I go into a Discord server, a Facebook group, a forum, and I'm like, hey, I played my Soul Blight against Cities of Sigmar, and I struggled with this, this, and this. And it's like, the, if they're not, if they're playing the double turn, and I'm not playing the double turn, if I'm playing like two seasons ago, it's like, we can't have a great conversation about our shared experience because we're not playing the same game, like literally. Yeah. And so maybe there's a little bit of that in it wanting to wanting to belong to the larger audience outside sure. of your friends sure yeah i i think that's where my brain initially goes is that you don't want to have to give five extra data points before someone can give you their thoughts or their opinion or their reasoning why you don't want to say okay it was we were using this rule not this rule this rule but change this way we don't do double turn we blah 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 blah, blah. and the more that those variables are in there kind of the less likely you can actually get help because you're narrowing the experience right of not, who's had that same experience exactly not everyone's going to have that same experience yeah. and also in in regards to just playing a game you want to go to the game store and meet up with somebody or you go to a tournament and you play there or you're just going to warhammer night every thursday in your local store um wouldn't it just be nice where you just we, we know the game we're playing. We don't have to agree to anything. We don't have to compromise on anything. We don't have to lobby for using this and not this and changing this and not this because it may benefit your army. It may hurt my army. It may whatever. It is. They are what they are. The rules are what they are. And they may not be perfect because that's typically how games work. There's really no such thing um, for most games other than like chess, right? Where it's just like the games are, the rules are evolving to try to constantly accommodate with the new variables that are brought into the game to create some level of balance in that perfect equilibrium never happens. But if we aren't all playing with the same set of rules on a regular basis, we, we can't all be part of the conversation of what needs to change right. to make that balance. Let me pose a hypothetical question to you. So let's say Guild Ball was a game that was still alive and still currently developed. Mm -hmm. um, you don't you don't care a ton about Guild Ball. It's like a game that you're mildly interested in. You play because I, I kind of force you to do it, right? Yeah, I, I like the game. I it know, was, I know you do. I, yeah. I know, yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to say you don't. But it's, it's a certain you, know, you have a certain relationship with that game yeah. that's different than other games. Yeah. So if if we played together, and I was like, hey, there's this rule. It's trash. We're gonna do something different. Um, that's not official. Would any part of you be like, <clears throat> like I don't like that? Like I want to play the thing. Or would you be like, whatever, I don't care? I would be like, whatever, I don't care. Okay. But that's because 
I don't have a big guild ball community at home, and I am not worried about getting practice with that rule. So when I go play with somebody new, I'll know how the rule works. It's like I just want to sit down and us play a game and have fun. And if you're telling me that this rule takes away from the fun or balance of the game we could play, that's more important to me. Okay. If so, it's a game of Age of Sigmar, when I know if I'm going to go play at a tournament or go and start uh, my own Escalation League or whatever, it's like well, I kind of want to have experience with all those things so I can maybe make my own judgment or I can feel like I, I know the way the rules are so when I play with a random person that we will play with that rule. So kind of you're right in that it, it, how much investment I have in the game, how much depth I want to get into will determine maybe how I feel about that. Yeah. Do you feel like a lot of people in the hobby think about potential tournament opportunities but actually never play in tournaments yeah it's the same thing as how many people buy warhammer but don't paint warhammer <laughs> yeah, or don't yeah. play warhammer it's like wishful thinking kind of yeah it's you have best of intentions it's not like a perfectly i go into the store i buy two boxes of space marines and you know 10 years from now i look back and i never played a game with those space marines you you didn't buy them with that in mind. You bought them with best of intentions. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like if I'm going to play a game, I should learn the rules as they are written for this current edition so I have the best understanding of those rules kind of a thing yeah. rather than just playing for what's fun. And maybe that's not the right approach to it. Yeah. So Also, sometimes you need to get a certain level of experience of all the rules to make your own opinion on what you think is good or not. Right, yeah. You know? Yeah. So if you if you had a group of if you were playing an escalation league of Age of Sigmar, um and let's say you know for a fact you're not gonna play in tournaments and that you are playing it for fun, would you bring up a rule change that you wanted to make to the game to ask other people if they agreed with that rule change and then implement it for your escalation league, or would you not even go through the trouble of doing that? I, w I would do that would be very careful about timing you'd want to do that before the league started so everyone right. felt like they were on they understood what they were getting into yeah making changes mid-season um is never a good thing yeah all right. it takes is one person to feel like they got bamboozled out of what they thought they were signing up for right to really make that a really bad experience for them as a whole we just want everyone to be on the same field i like that too because something like an escalation league or I've played in um, campaign leagues before with Age of Sigmar where it's this silly narrative campaign rule, like story thing that's happening that I couldn't roll my eyes hard enough at. But <laughs> um, but they that's what they certain people really liked. And I'm all for doing that as long as I got to smash some people. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, that was it's kind of a self-contained thing. Right. And we had rules in there where it's like you'd go and collect territories and you could use like a overworld action to like try to find a relic and my buddy with his lord croak got a relic that allowed him once a battle to guarantee a spell that went off and i'm like that's fucking fair on lord croak <laughs> um and but it but that was it like we knew we were getting into something that wasn't just strictly by here's the rules here's the artifacts here's how you're you're planning your list out beforehand and so when you go into that, you know that maybe you don't know exactly what the items are, but you knew that there are some things that aren't going to go exactly how a match play game would go. Yeah, and that's that is okay because you set your mindset to it. I think people's general default is to like, unless I know I'm volunteering into something and why I'm doing that. If I'm just playing a game, 
in an ideal world, the rules would be a great version of the game, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I, I have a weird thing that just came up to my mind because it is the time of the year, and I am a, I'm a nerd that plays fantasy football, so I'm a different kind of nerd. Okay. I've played fantasy football for like 20 years. I've been in this current uh, dynasty league of fantasy for about 15 years. And um, in fantasy football, there's a ton of different rules options. So it can be rules on how many points your quarterback gets when they throw a touchdown pass. Could be four points, could be six points. You can play in a league where you can start two quarterbacks or only one. You can play in a league where for every reception that a receiver or running back or tight end gets, they get no points or they get a half a point or they get one point. You can play in a league where you don't play a kicker. You can play a league where you do play a defense. You can play. There's all these different variables, mm -hmm. but there's still the same. There's still fantasy football. At the end of the day, the, if, if I tell you I play fantasy football and you play fantasy football, um, we will have a common language. Interesting. And within 30 seconds of I, of you explaining to me your roster and then you tell me I'm in one point PPR, single QB, single flex, I will know exactly what you're talking about. Because there are those variables, but they're minor when the vast majority is a universal language we understand. Okay. And those small variables um, equate the math in my head slightly differently, but I still understand. We can still have the conversation. We still know how the game is played. And even so far as stats, data, how experts give rankings and all these things, they can, on these websites, some of which, many of which you pay for, subscriptions for, to get the experts' analysis and breakdown and stuff, they have the breakdown at the top of the thing to put in your rules of how your scoring works in your league, and that will fluctuate how they rank certain players or trajectories for the year or who you should play this guy over this guy this week, all those things. But at the end of the day, having those variables does not diminish what the game is and the fun that it is. I had never really thought about fantasy football and miniature war games until today. But I think there's something to be learned there mm -hmm. about you can offer within your game system some tweaks that might be polarizing, some options that certain people will agree or disagree with. But 95% of your game is universal. That 5% of customization, um, people may may like having that flexibility and feeling like they're still playing within the rules like you're talking about of the latest edition of the rules but flexibility for what i think is the more superior version or the more fun version of the game that you and i sit down and play yeah it's it's like so if i had to equate that to a war game it'd be like if in aos the ghbs if they didn't change the points of units and they just added the fun flavor of like Here's a spell that your, you know, five wound non mounted characters can use. Here are some items they can use. It's like the various ways the seasons change the game. Like you could just play a different season. This is, again, notwithstanding like the changes to points and stuff for units. It's kind of what it makes me feel like. Um, okay. That's interesting. It's interesting how you can have a shared experience but still be playing different rule sets in Fantasy Flight and how that doesn't really, it seems like it equates to wargaming at all. Another thing is like we, we played in a tournament this weekend at U.S. Nationals, and there is a very clearly overpowered unit in the current version of the game. 
everyone there would be like, this is bad for the game. I would say like 90% across the board of all players there and online would agree. But like if you house rule that tournament, it's it suddenly like, it suddenly nullifies the results of mm. the tournament in a way, in a weird way. And it's like, it's like we all agree and we all know this was, this was a mistake or a broken thing. But we're all playing it anyways and dealing with it. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. And it's an arms race because if I don't play it and somebody else plays it and it's broken, I'm just like, well, am I just going to put myself behind the eight ball before we even roll the first dice? Because I'm making a moral judgment that this shouldn't be done. Um, no, you're not going to do that. It should be the onus of the manufacturer or the rules people to make agile quick changes in, yeah. in those things and it also gets really weird when those changes affect people having spent money and time to purchase paint list build all those things for this and then you if you always feel like you're getting the rug pulled out from under you and this is where i have some empathy for the people trying to balance their games um when when you've had to spend real money on your physical toys to do that, that there's a lot of feels bad moments. You don't want to have those feels bad moments in your game. Um, so how do you balance that? That's that's tough. That's one thing I didn't really think about is like the level of investment of of the miniature hobby. I don't know why I don't think about that a ton. Um, maybe it's because I'm fortunate in my job and I get a lot of miniatures for free. And so mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not I'm not paying for a lot of them. Um, so that that's a possibility. Okay. Um, so another another angle that I want to take on this question is monetary investment mm. um so it's like i don't know if this is a thing maybe you you can tell me because of your deep anthropo anthropological knowledge <laughs> <laughs> when people invest in a company with their dollars their opinion about how that company moves is biased it's like they're going to see what that company does and puts out as more valuable or more important even even if slightly right mm -hmm. and so it's like their rule sets their models their determination of how their game should be played is right because it's their game and also because um i feel like i've invested money in this and so like it, like my ego is on the line in some small way i i don't want to invest in a product that's not good like I don't want to admit that the double turn is a trash rule because I've put money into this. Look, I'm just fucking with you guys. But like, is is that monetary investment at all biasing our opinions about model ranges, about color schemes, about about rule sets? Is that a thing that you think is happening? Oh, well, this goes back to oh, here we go. Class uh, is in session, y'all. <laughs> this goes back to humans' tribal nature. Yeah. So. uh us as a species, since our origin, we're tribal. And you can still see it in primates today, that they're very tribal. Um, that it is an us and them mentality. You can see it in normal fucking humans. Yeah, too. it's it's, it's the, the reason why politics are the way they are. Yeah. It's the reason why they keep it a two-party system, so then we can always have an enemy. And if, if you consider yourself a part of the group, and there's different ways to invest, to then hit that threshold of investment, to where you now consider yourself a part of that group, then you you defend that group. Yes. Now, you also feeling you are a part of the group, and once you feel like you are accepted or that you deserve your place in the group, you often can ben also be the most critical of that group because you feel 
I'm part, I have earned the right to be critical, which is why the people that are most strong advocates for a game are the people that are most invested in the game. That's mm. That often will, will go part and parcel. Uh, time or money, right? Yes. Yep. And just like um, that just trash on they think an army's overpowered or trash on this rule or trash on this change from the season to last or this, that or the other because they're the most invested. But when you are invested, you want that thing to thrive, whether it's your, uh, you know, your Neanderthal group of people and there's another one three caves over. You want yours to survive, even if that means that like, well, um, something good, bad can happen and, and I might not die. But I am now then on the outs or I, I'm now alone or I now don't have backup when I'm sleeping that someone else is not watching for Sabretooth Tigers. So <laughs> you need you need your tribe to survive and in order to do that it's easiest to put down others or downplay others or say that uh this is so much better and then i'm invested because i got like a thousand dollars into this game this game needs to work this game needs to continue to grow this game needs to have more players so i can justify my thousand dollars spent by being able to go to the game store and find other people to play yeah yeah so there's there's that there's the positive and negative side of it but that investment however you want to quantify investment is absolutely a, a, a bias that we have in games. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I really, I, I know there's a big difference between board games and war games, but board games feel so much more interchangeable. Like you're, like you're willing to play several board games in a night versus you know being committed to one miniature war game for six months of the year. Um, and it's because of that level of investment, the assembly, the painting, the list writing, the planning out even an evening to play the game that's several hours long. There's a lot, there's a lot going on, and people feel real committed to the games they choose um, for forever. I think we've mentioned that before in the past, where it's like people, people th see war games as a, as a lifetime commitment. Like this is my faction that I am playing. I'm gonna play them forever. Um, and I think it really bent out of shape when like rules change, when factions get retconned and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a that's a really interesting point in the difference between miniature war games as opposed to board games and even role playing games. I think to me, and there's probably a lot more depth into this, but to me, the major factors are what I it was required of me to be able to get my full experience out of the this game. So if I'm going to play Kingdom Death, I need zero to three friends. I do not need a thriving community. <laughs> And locally, a tournament that can get me 16, 24, 48 players in order for me to really have a great, full, well-rounded experience with Kingdom Death or Frosthaven or Pandemic or whatever or Dungeons and Dragons. I need a small group of friends that we all have come to our consensus of the kind of game we want to play, what we have fun with, what makes us coming back to the game. I don't need everyone down at the game store to want to play Dungeons and Dragons and to play it the way I want to play it. Yeah, you need that in a war game. Do you need that? I think you do. I mean, there are people that sit and play the same one or two people with war in Warhammer in their basement for over a decade, and those people are serial killers. <laughs> I don't know how. I have no idea how someone could play 40k for years and years and years and only play against Todd. I think that's fucking weird. <laughs> It's like playing Magic the Gathering with the same dude every week. It is 
you are scratching the surface of what the game's potential is of different kinds of opponents of different play styles of different armies of of the the style in which they play are they more aggressive are they more tentative do they like to sit and wait things out do they try to ram it down your throat and the personality of your opponent as well as the social experience you have with them is it's part of what these 1v1 games what makes them so unique and so fun and so you want to have a you want to have a good garden of people right and you can just go out to the garden and just pick out this tomato and then go back to the garden and get that carrot and they're just different and that's part of the fun and i don't need that in dnd but i feel like even if i, I don't mean, you do need it you, so here, do do a fairer comparison what if you said you played dnd with what four to six people right what if you had a group of six people playing Age of Sigmar and that's who you played with? Every once in a while, maybe one of you got a new faction and you played against that. Would, yeah, that, be, would yeah. that be good enough? Yeah, that, I think that's probably fair. And then it's like I can get my extra variety on top of that if I go to a local tournament yeah, you or could, a big yeah, tournament. Yeah, yeah. I, think that's, I think that's fair. I think, honestly, for, I mean, for bigger cities, like that's not really an issue. But if you're talking about games that yeah, aren't, yeah, yeah. aren't Warhammer in, in one of its capacities, aren't Age of Sigmar and aren't 40K, even other Warhammer games. Just take those two big ones out of the equation. Aeronauticalists or yeah. whatever the fuck the plain one is. Even large metro areas. Tell me any other war game where you're not nervous of whether or not you're going to get six to ten people in your area that can, will play at a regular basis. It's legit worry. So you, and not to mention if you're in any kind of a smaller area where it's like, if I'm going to play with anybody, I either have to get get all my friends into it and then make them stay with it. <laughs> or I got to hope that there's some level of organic growth and, you know, people that want to play. Okay. I think that's a big part of it is just the fear of the investment in that others will also invest. So I will be able to do the thing that's kind of out of my control. Okay. So to back up a little bit and answer the larger question here, you're saying because the experience we are looking to have is already wildly niche expensive and requires insane investment of time why make it that much more niche by changing the rules and having homebrew stuff just to like narrow the pool even more you know is this, yeah. that's kind of what you're saying yeah i think like i don't think there's any harm in doing i don't think there's any harm in doing that whenever the hell you want but i think most specifically there's no harm in that when you feel a level of security of being able to just play the game with whomever, get enough experience, and then I can tinker and test with my buddy Todd that we can we can usually meet on Sundays and hey, what if we like just didn't do these secondary objectives? What if we were just like fuck that? That's whatever. Whether for whatever reason. I think it's dumb. I think it takes too much time. I think they change all the time. We can never remember which one is. We forget the rules half the time anyway. Like, yeah. like just go with the flow on that. But yeah, but like I, when you say that, I feel the feeling in me where it's like I'm not getting my reps in. I feel that feeling, and so it's yes. just like it's like where does that come from? So yeah, that is interesting. Um, it's like you play a game of Dota where there was like no creep waves, and you're just like, no, yeah, custom what? games, custom games. What? I don't like, play custom games at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could do that, but it's like that's okay. But it's like, oh, if I ever want to be the best Dota player, I'm wasting an entire game right now where I'm not working on the things that are reality to the way the game is. Meant to be played. Is this a spike thing? Yeah, it probably is. Is it? Okay, because I would love to see some kind of data that someone would collect on this because, like, I really have this problem where I view the world through my own point of view. And it's just like, I think everyone thinks the same as me. Yeah. And it's like, that's not how this works. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, 
other people that do play games like how do they think about this and it's like how do they justify what they're doing it's like if you are if having if playing a war game is about having fun and you are actively playing a rule set that has something that's causing you emotional stress or pain or unenjoyment. It's like, why are you, why are you doing it? It's so counterintuitive. I don't get it. But then at the same time, I'm, I'm right there. I'm like, I want to get a rep in on the current version so I can be part of this larger experience talking about the game as well, as opposed to just experiencing it, which is weird. I, I don't talk about my sick round of scythe you know, or a fucking Yahtzee, you know, dice throne, whatever to anyone else. Like no one really hears about it. When I, when I end a board game, that experience is pretty much done unless something insane happened. But with war games, like you want to talk about them, you want to keep talking about them. And so it's, it's interesting to think about that. Yeah. I, I have every time I go to a convention and I walk around and I just kind of overhear and I snoop on people's conversations or watch them play games, the big tournaments did it again at Nova open. I am reminded how far away my brain of what competitive Warhammer looks like (laughs) and what it actually looks like actually are. There's very few games or there's very few tables at a given high level even tournament where people are playing the game with such a level of intensity and seriousness that in my brain, I think they are. <laughs> I know. You're totally right. And I, I had the same experience playing at the tournament this last weekend. It's like there are there are very good lists in that game, and they, people aren't running them. Like they're running weird commanders and weird lists, and the opponents that I had were super fucking chill, and they were so nice. And like there were even times where they messed up the rules or I messed up the rules, and we let, we let each other just kind of like – Take these backsies? Yeah, as long as it wasn't like – three turns ago or, or or like it affected the game state if it was an obvious thing like oh i forgot a vulnerability token like can i put that on there and like yeah sure totally yeah. um so like people were doing that and i was just like oh my god like this is so much chiller than i thought you know it was advertised to be yeah yeah there's the same thing in uh like in magic which is where a lot of my like real try hard yeah gaming side comes from at high level tournaments people will if there is a like a, a trigger, so like uh, someone plays a card and that causes another card to do a thing, this, that, or the other, um, that a trigger happens. It is on the person whose trigger it is to identify it and resolve it. And if we go to the next phase, basically that opportunity is passed. In high-level magic, you're fucked. Yeah. Like you, you forgot it. That was on you. Yeah. Also, if you don't remind your opponent, if it's your trigger, you remind them to do that, then like say, oh, you drew a card, you lose two life. If I don't do that every time you draw a card, you don't lose the life. Yeah. And so that is high, high level magic. That said, in many magic tournaments that I've gone to, um, we just do takes these backsies all the time. Yeah. You know, and there are people that will not do that for you. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then usually that just makes me fucking turn my hat around backwards. Yeah. Be like, I'm gonna kick your teeth in now, buddy. Yeah. But that but that's okay. Like that's that's part of the experience. Those too. are the part of the experience, but I think a, a the difference between a game like Magic and a game like um, Song of Ice and Fire or Age of Sigmar or Guild Ball is that there's more of like this like unwritten contract that you have that we're doing a shared experience that is larger than I play a card it says what it does, then you play your card it says what it does. There's there's just more interaction. Um, there's, there's more moving parts pieces, literally, um, that it just, 
it feels like the environment or the community around War or Warhammer games or war games in general is a little bit more warm. I think you're right. I think because the first game I played against a guy who was clearly better than me, and he also had some hot fucking dice, like at least in one turn, he felt bad for like how much he was like crushing me. <laughs> and he was like, where are you from? And I was like, I'm, 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 this is my backyard. Like I, I, I can drive here in two minutes. And he was like, oh, I don't feel bad anymore that, yeah. I, that I'm crushing you <laughs> and like wasting like, like if you, if you had, like he was from Boston. So he like, he flew to, from Boston to fucking Minnesota. Ha-ba. So yeah. So it's like, there is some, there is some responsibility you have as a player to kind of not ensure, but care about how your opponent is experiencing the game. Yeah. Because if they're fucking having a terrible time, it impacts your experience in a big way. And so that was interesting to see at a tournament as well. That that, that guy was even thinking about how I was feeling. I didn't, yeah. fucking, I didn't fucking care. But um, it was cool to see he even thought about it. Yeah. There, there are ways that uh, that social interaction that can make or break the experience for both of you. Yeah, yeah. Because if I'm crushing you, which is entirely likely, <laughs> I, uh, I want you, because if you feel like shit that I'm crushing you, and I'm not a sociopath, I also then feel like shit that I'm crushing you. Yeah. And yeah. So how do we work together to make light of it, to like ham it up and be like, well, you, you look at, you have four more sixes. You like, ah, of course you got four more sixes. But like this, you know, just like let's let's laugh at the irony or the hilarity of the situation and go through it together instead of making the villain, the guy that keeps rolling sixes. Yeah. That that requires a level of of understanding of communication <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. to work that together. And people that have played the games longer and maybe even know you or, or are just good at dealing with people can do that. Not everyone can do that. And that's the tough social skill. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can find yourself in that situation, whether you are geared for it, whether you have the skills for it or not. I've definitely played against gamers who have very little social awareness and like either you're crushing them or they're crushing you and like they are wearing their emotions on their sleeve and it's tanking the experience. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting conversation, a little bit off topic, but it, it, it might be cool to talk about that at length a little in a different episode. But one thing I also want to talk about was models. Um, more and more I get into this hobby, the more I feel like every game is a model agnostic game. And we shared this, experience, this, this thought at least one other time on the podcast, but I'm curious if you feel that way. Like obviously GW makes great models. So it's very easy to play a GW game and just use their minis. Like that's cuz they're great. They're amazing quality. They assemble nicely. The experience is fantastic. But what if you're playing another game um like like a Black Sight Studios game? Um and you wanted to you wanted to find better models for your faction. Would would you would you feel comfortable doing that or would you feel a certain amount of responsibility or ease of use just to use the range that makes the game? Mm. That's a good question. I think if you come at this from a person that's new to the genre or new to a game, mm -hmm. new to miniatures, I don't think you even think about that yet. As an option. Yeah. yeah. You think about, oh, I'm going to play Warhammer. I think I'm going to play the Space Marines. And so I'll buy the Space Marines. And... Um, at a certain point, your eyes are opened, whether it's a local person at the shop that's got these sweet, crazy other models or they got these wild extra bits on them or whatever. You, your eyes are open to it. So I think it, like you initially started very narrow focused, and that's what 
companies like Games Workshop want you to do because that's how you can make sure that you get their money. Yeah, they stay in the yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Keep I think it's a such a wonderful layer of depth to the games we play that'll allow us to never really get bored. Yeah. I'm never going to get bored with models. I'm never going to get bored with options of how my take on something would be or how I want to make it unique to me and whether that's through paint, whether that's through basing, whether that's through kit bashing, whether that's uh, alternative models, whether that's 3D printing, whether that's 3D designing my own model. Like there's so many things and we don't have to do them. Um, I The fear is if you feel resistance of people not happy that you choose to do that, which is, I think that's one of those things that it feels more like a boogeyman than it is a reality that people are that way. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just a, it's a wives tale that there's people that just hate that you can, that you do that and they won't play with you or yeah, you maybe can't play this in official Warhammer tournaments. Right. <laughs> uh, Newsflash, that isn't a fucking thing. Like the only official Warhammer tournaments are as if you go to Warhammer World or your official Warhammer store does a tournament. You know how many fucking people fit in the Warhammer store? Like six. <laughs> a, a solid five, yeah. yeah. Like, don't stress out about that. Literally nowhere. Nova, yeah. Adepticon, LVO. Where the biggest tournaments are. Atlantic City Open. The biggest ones. They could give zero fucks. As long as it's obvious what the unit is, it's clear to your opponent, and it appears that you put in the effort to make that thing look and act like you want it to, to be. And your opponents won't give a shit as long as they're not confused, which are the which are the fucking dudes with bows and which are the dudes with swords. So they're not accidentally running into the dudes with swords and they meant to run into the dudes with bows. Like, yeah. that's it. You know, that, that's that's where the problem comes in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think you're right in that you're, you're right in saying that if that's not a natural inclination for um, a beginner in the hobby. And obviously it also comes down to the game and how the game presents itself to yeah. the larger audience. If you are making a game like, uh, not Frosthaven, but uh, oh, shoot, the game that's like uh, Frostgrave. Frostgrave. And that game is designed, it does have models, but it also advertises itself as a model agnostic game. You're playing like you're playing Space Station Zero, for instance. Sure. So that game is going to attract an audience of people who know how to find models, who have access to 3D designs to print, a large catalog of, of unpainted minis to use, and stuff like that. And whereas like a Games Workshop or Conquest, they have the thing that's going to attract that kind of person so maybe that's what it is too you are kind of like leading the witness and that you, the audience you have here came to your game because you did have the options and it was easy for them to figure things out and those options on the front of the cover of the boxes look fucking sweet look fucking sweet yeah. yeah and there's that's that is no downplay on company that make their own amazing models in fact you can seriously make the argument that companies who make games i'm looking at you snarling badger that don't have their own models that excite people by the models are narrowing the gap of people that are willing to try your game 100%. because they feel like they have to know all this other information um, and it's not easily accessible to them. That's not to say that that's not a smart way to go about gaming. In fact, it allows those guys to focus on making the cool game and not around uh, monetizing it the best they can and coming up with the best sculpts and hiring sculptors and all that kind of crazy thing that goes along with it. It gets yeah. real complicated real quick. Yeah, they're doing that intentionally. Yep. Um, but there's pros and cons to each. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's better for our hobby, for bringing in new blood and getting people excited about our hobby, 
that there are awesome models on the shelf that I can buy a box because those looked really, really cool to me. And then I figure out what is the game that these go with. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It goes even further than that. Like when it comes to comparing GW and Song, for instance, Song sells their boxes of models with fully assembled minis on bases with their cards, with a movement template in the box, ready to go. You buy a mini, you, you put it on the table to play that night. And because of that ease of use, um, it attracts a certain kind of buyer. You see next to zero conversions in A Song of Ice and Fire. And so, and I think the reason is because not only are the the fully assembled models harder to convert, but it attracts a certain kind of audience that is looking just to play the game. Mm. Tournaments don't require armies to be fully painted. They're, they're not attracting hobby or hobbyists first. They're attracting maybe gamers first. Whereas with GW tournaments, you do see more conversions. You do see more proxies. You do see more third-party bits. You see fully painted armies because it is a requirement. So it's like... They have they have different things they value the two the two games and two communities. Yeah, I mean, what are you gonna do? Change out this white dude's arm with another white dude's arm? I mean, a Dan Malston <laughs> converts and he does things like he puts like spikes down in the movement trays. He'll put like emblems on shields. He'll like cut off swords and give different swords to make them more different. Because each box of song minis that comes with twelve dudes has four varieties of three identical minis. Okay. So, and so he likes to change them up a little bit. I think that's pretty fucking sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And he's probably using hard plastic for the new swords, so they're not bendy swords. Yep. Yes. Danimals understands. Danimals understandables. Yeah, it's very understandables. I, I do um I do think that there is a the commitment to the hobby side that I do commend Games Workshop for for over the years. Mm-hmm. Um obviously to their own benefit, right? Sure. Because you can buy one book or two books and play the game, but you can keep buying models and keep buying models and keep buying models. As much as they bring out a new edition and a new edition of the book, that's uh, that is a much slower drip of income as opposed to having cool new models all the time. Mm-hmm. And because they're associating the hobby side so strongly with the foundation of what their games are and their business is, that you get people whether they were considered themselves artsy or considered themselves um, people that like to do arts and crafts or whatever, they like, it's so weird. The, the people that I would not think of the kinds of people that had this crazy idea and these crazy kit bashes and stuff. And I see them running these armies at tournaments and stuff. I'm like, man, you have a lot of creativity. You really thought that up and people are really proud of that. There's a level of, of kind of, displaying your uniqueness and your own take your own what makes Definitely. you unique at the table is really really awesome um and so i think any of these kind of polarizing opinions uh, that i i do believe are mostly wives tales there aren't really a, very many people out there that really care um about you using third-party bits or you using a creature caster demon instead of the Lord of Change demon. Those like, people don't really exist. It's a way, uh, you know, the the internet makes us fearful, right? Of yeah. I mean, we gotta make sure I gotta keep keep with keep this car between the lines, just like I gotta keep the car between the lines on the current edition of the rules, so people won't get mad or, or I, I won't be able to find a game or I'll get blacklisted from our local <laughs> games <laughs> workshop blacklisted, store. dude. Store and that kind of shit. So here's here's another question for you. After saying that, then do you think that there? Are, do you think that the people that are biblically biblically committed to rule sets? Do you think that's a wives' tale, or do you think that's more often occurring than people who uh, have a distaste for third party bits in their games? Uh, or do you think they're the same? They're, 
I, I think it's much more common, and I also think it's because it's kind of the unwritten understanding. If we're playing, if I say, hey, you want to go play AOS tonight, um, both of our perceptions are latest edition, latest points, latest rules, latest everything. Um, and unless we plan ahead and come to an agreement prior, when someone says we want to sit down and play a game, Age of Sigmar game, and I'm not even rolling for the double turn on the top of two <laughs> and you're like what you got to roll i'm like no i'm not playing that <laughs> yeah, yeah. like it, that that's just kind of like a i don't know if it's just like a customary these are the rules that's what we're playing unless we discuss it prior i don't know if, i think people would be hesitant kind of like how we'd feel be hesitant to be like oh i don't know if that variation is worth my three hours of time i think that the time investment is the scary thing with me too it's like but we're playing a version that I don't really know if my I made the right choices or I I approached the game the right way or I learned something more about my army to take on to my next game. If we added these other wacky do rule things that are not the way it's usually played, so I I can see the hesitation for yeah. most players. Yeah, with that, I think I think you're right too. I think there are some people out there and and like minorities tend to be they are incredibly vocal that have a distaste for third-party bits and like i mean i get comments about it so i know the person exists but how often does that person shower and touch grass like i have no idea they could be never entering a game store for all i know because i've never experienced anyone in an actual game store having any issue with a scheme of mine uh, a conversion of mine a proxy of mine that's never been a thing i've experienced but i have experienced people being very devout to rule sets hmm. um and like okay so you know how i mentioned earlier how I often see the world through my own lens and it, it like, I think everyone thinks the same way as me. So I was trying to figure out, I'm like, why do people like the double turn? It's like, Oh, it's because they're financially invested in this game and they can't be wrong about liking it. That's why. So I've solved the mental problem in my head and now, <laughs> now I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. Now my opinion is right. Now you came to your own consensus. Yeah, exactly. I will also say in my years of experience in game stores, um, that I've never seen, or ever heard whisper of a player that was banned from a store <laughs> because of what uh, models they brought to a game or what rule set they brought to a game. On the other hand, I have more people than I can count that I know of that have been banned for life or banned for X number of months or years from game stores because how they acted. Yeah. And so that's kind of more important. That's the of, lesson here, yeah. Don't be a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> to a fellow nerd that just wants to play a game. Yeah. Yeah. There has been, I, man, I, I have had two times in my life where I thought a dude was going to get his ass kicked because he wouldn't leave when the store owner was thought he was Really? <laughs> Both times with magic. But really? Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. People, people, some people are just, they're made from work for, for work from home. <laughs> so let's just, let's just say that. And you do not play nicely with the other human beings. No, 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 no. So. Well, that's all I have to say about this topic. You have anything that's, else you want to share? This is really interesting. I thought that uh, we covered it. We just solved all the world's problems, really. I think it's, it's interesting to look at. This is kind of a like a like a approaching something from our hobby from a different angle and kind of analyzing it, asking the question of why or why, yes. or or is it even is it and and why is it that way or why is it not and what are the reasons behind that? I think it's pretty. Uh, one or uh, fucking intellectuals. That's, that's really what it is. Yeah, we fucking we big brain. Knew we earned our PhDs today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think the last thing you mentioned is really important for all humans to really think about is like, is what I am experiencing and thinking 
even a thing? Is it even something that is largely experienced? Am I entirely making it up? I know Jordan Peterson is not a, a, an often appreciated person, but he had a quote that I really appreciate. And it was something along the lines of, most human ideas are bad and wrong. And I'm just like, that level of humility is so valuable for everyone. It's like, because people will often have a feeling like what the thing I'm feeling and just assume that it's unanimous and that yeah. it applies to everyone. And it, it often is not. And often it's not even reality. So I think it's important to kind of sit down and also ask you guys the question, what do you think? What's your gaming experience with your gaming group? Are you changing rules? Are you using proxy stuff? Have you experienced people that have given you shit for different units, different ways of playing? Do you do you feel a certain way when you use an alternate rule set, or do you not? I, I, I really want to. We, we often canvass our viewers for opinions about stuff because I'm just curious what like the larger community is. It's like this, this is an awesome opportunity we have actually as content creators is to get a bird's eye view of yeah. like the hobby. Um, and it's been it's been eye opening my entire time I've had my channel, so I always appreciate hearing it. Yeah, and so and then along with uh, picking your brains and down in the comment section to uh to answer um also i will uh offer a challenge um to kind of switch things up at the table for your next game just don't use a tape measure <laughs> just be like nah that was four inches he can make the charge that was nine inches i'm not sure that is six inches if i could handle that <laughs> that is good enough that is this is why all games need to be on grids <laughs> yeah, <no kidding. clears throat> Uh, then it's like I trust you. I trust your four inches are four inches. Because how often times we game, you're like, okay, um, there's two kinds of players. When I say, uh, uh, I, oh, my charge was seven inches, and I put it out there, I'm like, does that look like I got in? There's two kinds of players. There's the player that's like, yep, good enough. Yep, looks good to me, and they don't even bend over to look, right? Because the point is, we want to play our game, want our dudes to do their thing. Yep. Good to we, me. We don't want an eighth of an inch to make it make the difference. And yeah. then there's the other people that are like, mm, and they bring out their own tape measure. I don't do that, but yeah. I, I do look. I do look. You yeah, know? it's okay to look. Yeah, like if like if they're fucking, they're like wheeling it and dealing it, and they're like, or they're like saying you're out while they're holding their tape measure up at the angle. <laughs> yeah. You do it at the angle, so it's like suddenly your ear inches across, but when you hold it up like this, it looks like ten. Yeah, like there's yeah. some there's some sh charcuterie boards that are going on around those kinds of games, but. <laughs> I think that it's just like people that are just like, sure, benefit of the doubt, we're here to play games, and the people that are, are not, and I would ask that uh, if you find yourself doing that, just let people play with the toys. You let They'll let you play with your toys. You'll have a good time. Yeah. No, that's very true. Good, good lesson for us all, and good way to wrap it all up, which puts us into the next section of this podcast, which we're doing a little bit of a different segment other than news this time, we tried out uh, a snack review with John, I think, two episodes ago. He sounds about right, yeah. Uh, and now this time, we're going to try... So we talk about our work in progresses, which for me was nothing this time. <laughs> um, but we also, much like you, uh, have hobby dreams, hobby hobby projects that are on our mind. When we see new products, when we see paint jobs from other people that are like, oh, that was cool. I want to do that, but change this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in this segment, I want to talk about like a hobby project that I've got inspired by um, because I saw a, a recent release and it melds well with a certain idea I have um, and just kind of talk about a fun idea. Okay. Instead. All right, and then I will pick apart your idea and tell you why it's dumb. Yes. Okay, so I have 
a female lady that leads my whoa uh, whoa whoa a female lady female lady okay. a lady not a lord a vampire lady, lady that's supposed to run my whole vampire army and right now I have a vampire lord on zombie dragon not a female and so I was like, I was like how do I wh- what's a good female conversion for a mounted vampire lady and so what the what shut the fuck up <laughs> There is a so the Blood Bowl set came out and it's got two female players and she's got this very leaning forward pose. Is this the new vampire ones? Yes. And one's got a helmet. One's got a helmet. One doesn't have a helmet, but they have this really great forward momentum posture that I really like. And I think I think the helmeted version has wings on the sides of its helmet, which are amazing for my my motif which is a blood dragon one and so i want to have my my chalice guard have wings on the side of their helmets a lot of my blood knights do Uh, i have i have dragons in my army um and so i want to continue that motif of dragons. so that helmet is amazing that forward posture is amazing and i think that would work well on a zombie dragon but the one issue with that model is she's got this like kerchief this like necktie thing yep and she's got like Mad cleavage. Yeah, she got some boobers coming out. But it's like she has like a huge elongated neck. Doesn't it feel like there's like a lot of there's a lot of space in between the head and the torso and stuff like that? Um, it's kind of hard to say because that coif thing goes all the way down to the top of the boobages. The boobages. So I can't. Let me zoom in, Games Workshop. Let me zoom in. Let me zoom into these vampire. Teams. Enhance. Enhance. So that that chick, while you enhance that, is one idea. And then I think I saw someone do this for another thing. But do you know you know that m- most recent maggotkin of Nurgle hero who's like sitting on that really dilapidated horse? Yeah, he's the new Harbringer of Decay. Yes, yes. That horse could absolutely have a vampire on top of it and ha- be like a... Oh, yeah. There's no mounted vampire lord on a horse on a nightmare in AOS. You could use it as like a white lord on, on night or as like a Castellan for your blood knights. But that horse is waiting for a fucking vampire to go on top of that everything about that model is fucking banging i know it's so good that that fully expect to see a a good bushel of those painted for (laughs) golden demon (laughs) yeah it's so good i want to paint it so bad for a golden demon but i'm not going to because i know everyone is going to yeah um okay i'm looking at boobage's lady here um i think the big extra shouldery things yeah, They're too much. They're too much. They are too much. I think they also make her torso, so her her breasts are pushed together so much in the center of her torso, and their torso it seems like it's so wide. Mm. So it's like it just it all seems very strange. But that that head with that with that uh, what is that? You call it a coif? Yeah, that coif. If I could just saw that part off, and maybe put it on a different torso or change the torso in some way, and then put it on legs that are mounting a horse. I think that would be a great female dragon thematic lady mm-hmm. for, my, for my army. Yeah, I think that's good. I think even just that head alone looks great for um, just switching it out on uh, one of the the Blood Knight uh, mounted riders. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I think I would start with that, but then try to find something else to alter so okay it was like all right we want this to work with that and what i typically will do is i'll then all right i'm starting with 
the head is going to be different. I chopped that head off. I I kind of even even if it's not physically putting together the rest of that Blood Knight model with the horse and the rider. Sometimes it's just kind of mentally, and I pull up the picture and I put the or I take one I already own. You already have some built and painted. Just kind of physically hold that head in front, and now I ask myself. What else can I change? Yeah. Also, that's a great point because the guy that rides on that zombie dragon is actually fucking big. Yeah, because her, her uh, like dimensions seem a bit more like robust. She's got man hands, as, got, Jerry, as okay. Jerry Seinfeld would say. Okay, I thought you were talking about her huge tracts of land. No, her hands, dude. Her hands could fucking crack open a lobster in one <laughs> one chuck. A lobster? Yeah, it's also from Seinfeld. Um, man hands. I mean, it's not even like an impressive feat, though. It's like lobsters are like meant to be cracked open. In the scene, they just the camera zooms in on her on her table on her plate because Jerry takes her out to dinner, and she takes the lobster and cracks it in half. But her hands like make the lobster look like it's the size of a shrimp because her hands are so big, and she just cracks it open in half with her just massive strength. So yeah. Anyway, that's the joke. Um, okay. Okay. So. So are you just like you just want that head so bad? The rest of this you're not feeling so much. I don't know. The the torso d- totally works. Um, I thought she had clenched fists, but now I realize she doesn't have that. But replacing the hand would be incredibly easy to yeah. do. I, I like the movement you get from that cape. So she could be on a horse, and that cape shows movement of the horse running. Yes. If you had a running pose horsey. Yeah. I just I feel like her torso and, I, and the wing dingers, like in between her shoulder armor, I feel like those are too big, and I feel like her torso is, is too just chonky. But maybe it's the angle of the photo, and if I buy the actual thing, it won't be that bad looking. Yeah. But I, I agree with you. The cape is nice. I think it would fit great on like a dragon riding with the wind kind of like lapping. So I, I like that. I also like the unhelmeted female vampire as well, just for, just for the head. And that had to be great in a, in a on a blood night on on any kind of vampire honestly. Right. It's a great generic. Oh, that's the same model. It's just same different model, head. different head. Yeah, exactly. Is a great, there's there's a couple of great vampire heads in here. Oh, there are. Yeah, I'm not talking about the the, the Quarterback male Dracula ones. dude. His yeah. head is his head is what vampires should look like. Come on. Yeah, dude. Like it is fucking, horror movie vampire. Yeah, it's Dracula. Um, even even the this guy who is, he's kind of part. A little part beast, part uh, vampire. Oh, yeah. Like that guy almost could be just one to one given a weapon, done. Vampire done. Yes. Because like he his armor looks exceptionally like actual like combat armor. So that's that's an easy one too. I, this whole bubble set is just full. Bubble. Bubble. Um yeah, the the guy wing arm dude. That's kinda nice. They had wing arm dude. Wing arm dude's got a little he's got a football, but that, again, easy to chop that hand off, give oh, him a sword or an axe. Oh, I bet that's the alternate version of Dracula. Oh, is it? Oh might be because there's the shoulders look similar. Oh. No, I, yeah, I think you might be right. I think you're right, because you look at the cloak. Yeah. That's the same guy. Interesting. Um Yeah, I, it is. I dude, I love their fucking ruffles. <coughs> Dude, the, like the Dracula dude, yeah, he's dude. got the big fucking ruffly bow that's like hanging on top of his armor. Like yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not skimping on on my decor <laughs> here, and uh, it's very fancy. Yeah, he's, he's a fancy vampire. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then my my brain would go to like, okay, we got the head, we have maybe the cloak, we maybe cut that bit off the sprue, and so you can kind of hold it and see how it looks coming off the back of the horse. Mm -hmm. And then my brain goes to, what is the big other changes I want to make? It's either the body entirely or the horse. I think the 
the whole unit or the whole model once fully kit bashed still reads as blood knight if you use the blood knight horse because those are so distinct then i would go back to looking at my options again i do think those sp the spoopy horses spoopy horses the night haunt one that's the for the black knights red blight Haro, uh, night, oh night yeah, I have honestly. I think I have six of those. Yeah, so I think, like, I, think I bought them for another unit yeah, of blood knights. And it might work better as a single one or as your yeah. lead one in there. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Like that, then you have a whole nother um, can of worms that you're gonna open. In like, there's not a real saddle or place to sit on those horses. I think they look badass. I think there's a lot of movement that work with the movement of that cloak you're talking about. Mm. Um, but then you got to have them like look like they're, you know, like their knees are tight against the, the, um, against the side of the horse, like it's actually riding it. Yeah, pin yeah, pinched in, so they're not like floaty. You know, like if you see a floaty rider on a horse, you're just like, that's a floaty rider. Yeah, like it got this U-shaped legs and yeah. it's not fitting on this perfectly. Yeah, actually, you're you're right. The Blood Knight horses don't have any bullshit on them. I think the rider and the horse are. Totally separate, are they? I haven't built one. I, I I built the five. I can't remember. Mine still have the plastic wrap on it in the box. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember, but if, if those ones are totally free, that also is a super easy option just to use use those horses. But I think it's cooler to have your commander have yes. a unique mount. Yes, I do too. Yeah, I think because of those horses, the horses all look samey same. They look badass, but they all look the same. Yeah. And so at the table, it would you probably wouldn't see a big differentiation. Yeah. But there are, I I think if you wanted a more stoic static like back is super straight and super regal mm -hmm. using that Nurgle one where that horse is just kind of like yeah. standing proud. Yeah. And dead. Yeah. You you'd have to cover up the the like lasered in Nurgle symbol, but on, on its haunches, but that's it. Yeah, and I I do think the that female vampire from the Blood Bowl set I don't think would work with that horse because that horse is standing still, and that vampire lady is clearly she's clearly leaning forward. It's like that that they're not the same like energy, right? You can use the head bit though. The head bit totally <laughs> usable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's a matter of finding a a regal kind of sitting real back straight. You can almost look at like the ones on the Coven Throne where those ladies are sitting around the thing and they're mm -hmm. sitting really straight back, they but sitting through fucking side saddle. What about the Underworlds female with the the sword through her hair? She's kind of just standing straight up, isn't she? She is. Yeah, her back is real straight. I don't know how easy it'd be to remove her head because the sword goes through her hair and shit. Like I don't know how possible that would be to like just. Ooh, get yeah, the, it is all one piece. Yeah, yeah. Just get the torso out of that. I don't think that'd be very simple. Yeah. Um, but that is an idea. So is so is the Coven Throne vampires, the the cushion bays that are mm -hmm. lay, laying about. Mm -hmm. They don't have I, any armor on them though. They're all in dresses. That's almost more eerie. Yeah, yeah. And she just like comes there into a full armed unit, and she still has a three up save. And you're like, what's going on? You have a cursed lady of the lake. Yeah, what was happening? Yeah. <laughs> someone uh someone put some vampire teeth on the lady of the lake, and now she's just fucking rocking around, just owning everybody. <laughs> I love that. Well, that's my conversion idea. Uh, I'd love to give that a shot. I, I have like this whole story about how my lady transforms into Lockavai and how that like why that happened as my army grew in size in the Escalation League. I had a lot of fun coming up with, with like backstory. Um, but yeah, that's me. I think we decided in the beginning that it was I was just gonna share my idea and because yeah. that'd be long enough. Yeah, we yeah we cranked out. I think uh, I think that this is fun one for us to. 
this is something that many of the Goody PBs don't know that oftentimes when we're working on a project, whether it's for a competition or for conversion for our armies or ideas we have, um, historically we've had these kind of conversations. We share bits. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we like, kind of try to brainstorm things. I think that's part of the fun, the problem solving, the trying to piecing it all together to find something unique. Um, and maybe you think this kind of conversation there is value to it or it's in some level interesting mm -hmm. uh, let us know yeah. if this is a kind of a once in a while topic thing where it's like hey one of us is going to come with an idea an issue a, a question and we're going to pose it to each other and see if we can problem solve and see what you guys think so let us know I don't, what are we calling this? Maybe the Goody Peepees also have to give us the name of what this. Yeah, is. give us your idea for like for the name of this segment. That'd be that'd be fun. Like the crafting corner. Yeah, something like <laughs> something like that. The cozy kit basher. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just handing out YouTube channel names right here. Oh, God damn it! The cozy kit basher. Okay, I don't even know where we are. <laughs> so we just did the news, and now we're part of that. Now we're not part of it. Welcome. Yeah, we are. Um, we're we're nuts deep in the after party right now. And one funny thing, I uh, for our favorite minis that we picked, I picked one I was super excited about, and then I saw later that same night you had oh, re reposted this. Yeah, dude. On your Instagram, like, God damn, I have to make sure I tell him that I didn't fucking steal it. I saw it and it was like. Fuck yeah! This one is is in my list of miles to pick for our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, uh, I love this conversion, dude. So just hot on the heels of us talking about conversions in the crafty corner <laughs> segment, <laughs> um, I got a a kit bash by the wonderful Bits Boxer, um, and they do such a great job of one just showing me all the the behind the scenes of like what parts are different colors and what was changed you can just like you tell the story of the conversion just through what materials were used and i mean it's the best conversions to me are the ones that are minimal just enough to make it feel totally unique and different but they're not over the top which you call so I'm looking at this one right here, this Reichlander conversion. Is this is this too much of a conversion then? We can, we'll show this picture now. This is the Reichlander by Bitsboxer, and he he shows pictures of his unprimed models, and this one has gone particularly heavy on changing the. You got to create that poofy shirt. I think mean, you need a poofy shirt and poofy pants, which are very like traditional yeah. for that for that squad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um. And the whole helmet is 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 made as well. Yeah, it might be a bit much. It might be a bit much, but I really like those legs. And he's got the real like tight knee high boots, and then with the poofy uh, like thighs with the poofy pants. Like, there's a lot about this I like. Yeah. So it might be a bit much for my taste, but I also think it's great. I just the ones that they feel like they're done effortlessly with minimal tweaks, but each one is kind of has a purpose. Mm -hmm. Are the ones that really strike home with me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this one fall, falls in that realm, right? Yeah, 100%. Where is his head from, dude? I don't know. It definitely looks like... I wonder if that's some oh, um, Sisters of Battle. Or it's a Cities of Sigmar thing. Well, yeah, because he says a Cities of Sigmar. He said playing around with some Cities of Sigmar stuff. Was it, obviously, it could be a Sisters of Battle thing for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this she's is got a scar on her face, and she's got that almost like... Uh, religious looking hat kind of a thing yeah. makes me think it might be from it totally could be one of those things i love the giant hammer yeah. yes 
that hammer being a war hammer as opposed to the same size head of the hammer for like a one-handed hammer so much cooler yeah so much cooler it is just so much more menacing and then just kind of old-timey shield just yeah the the pewter twin tail comet yeah Yeah, that's that's really nice like extending the 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 cape a bit to kind of have just the right amount of the leg showing through and just the cloth work on the with the milliput it's just it's just it's just so cool it just i i see this if this was like painted up and put on the box art i would assume it was just something that they created yeah that gw sculpted and it's yep. like that's not easy to do yeah that's how you know you're winning yeah when, when you can pull that off yeah so that that's my choice wonderful um i don't know what i picked i picked oh rafaela stumpo uh, this guy did a lot of sculpting, but he posted one of his old Golden Demon entries that he got gold for in 20, 2007, and it's fucking Aberash. Uh, so he sculpted this guy. This is not one that you can uh, buy at least at least exactly like this. I think the head maybe wasn't sculpted. You can go to pick the last pick. Go to the fourth pick. Oh, that's... Oh, ah. I love it when you can see this. This is so nice. It's the picture I remember from seeing a couple months ago. Oh, nice. I remember there was a picture. Yeah, so this guy likes to use green stuff with a heavier mix of the blue half and the yellow half. Um, I don't know what that does. I don't know if that makes it dry harder or if it makes it dry more rubbery or or whatever. Easier to sculpt details with because it's firmer. Maybe. I can't can't remember which color does what for the two-part epoxy. Um, But I, I love seeing vintage Warhammer like this, and I fucking love vampires. And of all the vampires... Um, I love Aberash the most. And he never got a model. He never, Aberash, at least maybe he did a long time ago, but he never got a nice one like later in life. And so it's cool to see him kind of get a little bit of a treatment, although it is, it is you know, kind of vintage, vintage looking. Yeah, it fits the time period of Warhammer though. Like it feels, the style feels like the Warhammer of that day. So it feels in line with what they were. It does. Sculpting, yeah, and that's pretty cool. That's and those pretty crazy cool. free-handed banners with like the chevrons and the dragons and... And uh, the, I don't even know. It looks like a, it's almost like a giant Targaryen logo with like that big circle and a dragon inside of it. This was the era of freehand for competing <laughs> yeah, giant I, fucking bands. Yeah, you yeah. just like who could who could do the most detailed <laughs> freehand in the over the most amount of square footage on banners. Yeah, and like everyone's paint jobs were like six and a half out of tens. But who could do the best banners? That was. A hundred percent that era. Yeah. Um, they even got free hands on like the horse cloth on yeah. the shields that the that the skeletons are carrying has free hand on it. So <laughs> he sculpted an additional front one on the front haunches just so he could freehand more. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. We need to we need to double those numbers. Those are rookie <laughs> numbers. Uh, oh, oh you're yeah. right. He had he added more fabric to the front of the horse. That's hilarious. Yeah, it made the back ones longer, so you had more room for freehand. Freehand. This is just, I just need a, I just need a pimp, pimp my mini freehand edition. And it's like, <laughs> oh man, this is like max pimpage right you here. Got subwoofers on your subwoofers <laughs> on this guy. Do do do. But that, I mean, that's cool, and it's very uh, iconic. That kind of sucks. I mean, because he's got the coolest name of any vampire. He is the coolest one, other than Neferata. He is the fucking coolest one. Why didn't he, Why did he get the fucking? Why didn't Manfred around? But this guy just got got the shaft. This is the guy that cured the eternal thirst because he drank dragon blood. He's like one of I think one of the only ones in the whole fucking universe. He is he is the combat vampire. Mm. He's the one that you know he kills everybody. Uh, so it's like, how is this guy not fucking? This is the coolest one. 
So, uh, Manfred is the the hide in the shadows and the stab you in the back vampire. Yeah, yeah. And but then, yeah, he was all part of the whole von Karsten family, which they had a whole storyline. So that's why they got a lot of love. Uh, uh, Neferata got some love. Uh, Sauron or uh, Sauron, I don't know how to say his last name or his name. He never got any models really. And then uh, the other one who turned into a skeleton as a Mortark. What's his fucking name? Archon. The Archon. He got he got some more stuff too. Um, but yeah, we, we never got any Aberash or Sauron love. Mm. Yeah, that's too bad because they still have Dragon Knights as a freaking faction you can play, right? Uh, uh, Blood Dragons? Um, or uh, Blood Knight? Wait, what do you mean? Is there's in one of the factions, even to this day, oh, are, yeah. are the dragon ones. Yeah, and he would definitely be like the guy for that whole. Oh, because they got that, what the fuck's his name? The dude on the. Zombie Lord, that there's the name dude. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I can't remember what his name is. The, fist, the Crimson Fist in the Gash. What's his fucking name? Yeah, that guy. Why wouldn't they give this guy instead of that random dude no one's ever heard of? I don't fucking know. Probably because they would be required to have a new kit for Aberash. And they're just like, well, it's the same thing, but this guy's got a name. I mean, if you make that GW, if you give me, if you give me a unique zombie dragon kit that has Aberash on it, I'll buy 17 of them. I don't care. I'd love that so much. Or one. Or one. <laughs> probably one. I probably wouldn't buy it. <laughs> I would ask nicely. <laughs> um, okay, so those are our favorite minis. I think we we knocked our favorite minis out of the park today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now we're going to go to Gross Nerd. Gross Nerd. What you got, Gross Nerd? Gross Nerd. You got a gross model for us, Gross Nerd? Uh, I think I we got, I think we got uh, some uh, boobers on this one. Yeah, we do. Okay, we got a Kingdom Death, and this is a 54 millimeter ah. uh, pinup death armor. So keep that in mind. And the size of this is sizable. Yeah, man, that thong, a lot of thighs. It's yeah, very, it's very tenuous. Like the the the, the amount of thong material. Oh boy, you nailed it. Okay, so yeah, we're seeing a KDM uh, figure sitting down, 54 mil, holding a sword, scantily clad, black hair, purple. Uh, clothing isn't much of it. <laughs> there um, isn't much of it. A lot of skin. A lot of skin tone to work on. So yeah, what are we thinking here, John? All right. First things, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the, a couple of positives here. First of all, the the color ambient reflections on that sword. There you go. There you go. Bye. You know that's important right there. Do you do that? Yeah. And you you got it started there. <laughs> I could tell that that's something you wanted to do, but you weren't exactly sure how much of that color should go other places as well. Kind of feels like it dies right there. Almost want a oh, there's some on the leg, that side of that left thigh, but that should almost go like, like we uh we talked about in the last episode where there was a light, dark, and then light again. There should be a dark on that left thigh, um, before the light of that orange light um of the lantern hits it. You right. Know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. That, that's a separation between the two light sources. You're above Zenith light source and like your little lantern below. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I think I love that orange reflection on that sword. It is really selling it for me right now because you also have that orange on the skulls nearby. Yep. It feels like a really nice localized little OSL effect. Yep. Um, I think for the skin, I think the skin is like the primary thing on this model that you want to put all your effort into, right? And like yep. her thighs are, are large volumes. Um, and I think because they are so large, I want to see a much more aggressive swing and contrast from the top of her thigh to the bottom of her thigh to even showing more convincingly some of that orange glow on the lower side of her left thigh, you know, like it's coming from a lower part. Um, I don't think there's enough contrast on, on the majority of her skin. There's definitely more in the face, so I can appreciate that and that effort put in, but I think even the face could uh, could use more. Yeah, would push that higher and... 
and add some other interesting colors for that skin, right? Don't just use a darker skin tone and then a lighter skin tone. There should be some, some interest because skin is very reflective as a surface. So it would catch bounce lights. It would catch even some of that purple from the cloth. It would catch some of those warm tones. It should catch some of the maybe some almost dark blues on the underside of those thighs of the darkness that's in front of her or whatever. Even if you see it on screen or, or off screen or not, there should be some other color depth there um, that I think would really push it. And then, yeah, like you said, going to the face, like I want those highlights punched up 10 times more than they are on the face. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of a uh, reality across the whole piece. And I look at like the cloth, it, it reads as one coat of purple. Yeah. You know, and I yes. want uh, there should be some is that more of a shimmery? There should be like some shimmery highlights of that upward light source. There should be um, across the bikini top. There should be a little bit of a bounce reflection from the, the downward facing parts and mm -hmm. some uh, a reflection from the upward facing parts. Um, and, and, you know, find some interesting colors to mix in as you're creating those highlights and secondary highlights. Whether it's uh, a warm orange that you're mixing in for those downward facing reflective lights or some maybe more cooler off blues, uh, like a cool ice blue uh, to build up the highlights from above as maybe it's a more cool light mm -hmm. um, from there. So yeah, something to think about. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, yeah the purple color you picked was, isn't necessarily like, it doesn't have like a super interesting hue and like you have, I think you have space in this scheme to add an interesting color because like skin is kind of neutral, black hair, black armor, bone colored stuff, silver sword, you know, an ambient orange light. I think I think you could add a punchy saturated color if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, I love how he has the purple in the eyeballs of the skull, yeah. which then ties the purple into the scheme. That is cool. Yep. I think Good he, he nails the black knee pads and forearm armor, but I think some more work could be put into the hair a little bit. Um, to kind of bring it up at that same level. I think you have this nice transition into a bright gray, but it isn't covering up so much black that it makes me think that the black thing is supposed to be gray and not black. So I think you, you nailed that, but I think the hair could use use some more love as well. Yep, I would agree with that. I think good job on the NMM and the sword blade, though. Yeah, I dude. mean, it's the right amount of shine to it. It's not doesn't look completely out of place with the amount of light that's going across the whole model. The reflections seem realistic to me. Um, so I think there's a lot of good stuff there. Mm -hmm. I agree. Good stuff, gross nerd. Yep. You, you, that model's not gross, nerd. No, it isn't. It's a pretty model. All right. On to something new. Something new. Something new. So I discovered, I thought that there was a very simple spectrum for durability for resin printing. And that was that the more flexible your resin is, the more durable it is. Full stop. And that is not true hmm. there is like a right kind of flexibility and a wrong kind or maybe there there is too much flexibility and i want to show you one of the proxy units from last week's episode to illustrate that point okay oh, so sweaty. sweaty boy scott is now off camera grabbing from a giant pile of army models that he's painted that are all on the table that he stares at every night before he goes to bed. <laughs> you fucking better believe I do. So this banner bearer, um, I had the whole model painted. I saran wrapped it. And then I held onto it and painted the banner for whatever, two hours. Um, and over time, a tear in this part started to form. And it's slow. Oh, 
That's why I said there was a point that was a wobbly up there. Oh, oh, that's new. I didn't, I didn't know that broke. Um, well, anyways, um, this started to slowly tear. It, it didn't snap off. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't like turn white like GW plastic turns white when you bend it. Yep. Um, but a tear uh, formed, and it was it's very difficult to get that to kind of bend back because it is so it's almost like soft. And so what I had to do was I had to put some super glue in that crack, and then I bent the banner upward and I actually glued the banner to the tips of his like helmet ears. I noticed that. Did you before. see that? Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and that I'll... is so it stays in kind of the right place. Smart. Smart. Um, but yeah, so it's like I, I, you want flexibility in your 3D prints for war games, but you don't want so much that it's like soft and, and rippable. Like I didn't even think that was a thing you could do with plastic. You know, it's, I know. it's bizarre. Yeah. It's a, so is is the the banner made of resin as well? It's 3D. Yeah, printed. yeah. It's all all of it is uh, 3D printed resin. Weird. And so it's just strange that um, yeah, it didn't snap off or anything. It was that it slowly, it slowly separated and broke open. Yeah, because it's like bent. Because if you look at it like that way. Yeah, because I put a pin. I put a pin in there, and so it's it's oh, te- it's tearing around the pin. pin. Yeah. Okay. That's like, oh yeah. It's like stronger than the material. Yeah. The in ma- way. Yeah, it's not allowing it to bend. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so yeah. maybe there maybe there is such a thing as too much flexibility in your three D printing resin. Um, and yeah, maybe it's the hero resin that I was using. Maybe it's a little bit too flexible and I should maybe mix in some more rigid resin to get a, a better property. I, I never thought that that'd be the case. I thought it'd be just like max durability is also max flexibility. Um, yeah. but maybe not. Oh, that's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, uh, well, we're going to have to do some more, uh, more research on this. Buy some more resins and just get doing the resins. Waste my life printing models. Anyway. <laughs> uh, something new that I tried is like, Another step into and something I want I've been wanting to do something you and I have talked about and that is to try to learn more that is done in scale modeling mm. far longer than we than miniature pa- painting as we know it as a as a hobby as a craft as an art form has been around scale modeling has been around far far longer mm-hmm. and tips tricks uh, techniques. Uh, materials that they use uh, found to use that weren't specifically made um for that hobby that hobby seems much more like figuring out things rather than having things be made for you whereas miniature painting has seemed much more that there's money in big borrowing stealing adapting improving upon existing things and making them work for your hobby yes um and and it's kind of a it's an interesting thing. It's like it feels like I had to even with this, or trying to find some breakdown of how to use weathering pencils, which is a watercolor pencils, is what the, these kind of stuff was started with. Um, it's just I found it real difficult to find information or yeah. find information that didn't contradict the information I got from the last source, which was also different from the next source. And how much of this is based on a reliable source as opposed to just the dude that took the time to write up this post on this forum uh, or it's on a YouTube channel, a video seven years old, and the guy has 500 subscribers and like how much, you know, how, how invested is he in this hobby versus just trying a thing. And so I had to like wait so many things. I'm like, it was kind of fucking exhausting. Um, so it almost felt like, OK there's probably a middle ground there of 
finding stuff or or trying to find stuff that's used you almost need to know like a back alley dude that t knows about the way that that certain thing is done finding that and then just kind of like testing it yourself from our own experiences in the hobby to see how it would work um and this was a really fun kind of jump into that and i want to do more of that um it's just a matter of it's a, it's a time investment to do your research to figure out what's out there analyzing if it, it has applicable uses outside of doing a rhino right because a lot of stuff is really based on a big plane or a tank or a train and and you know things like that things like terrain i think terrain stuff um for like doing big dioramas and stuff that are used in scale modeling i think more of that has found its way over to us more easily yeah um, because a lot of that's kind of universal. Yeah. I'm just trying to improve on or make a more display version or a smaller scale on a 40 millimeter round kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, that was just kind of, it's been a while since I, I, I tried a thing that didn't seem entirely made for us and in, in working it for us. I will say one thing though on the, on the box, these are the AK interactive weathering pencils. I decided to use those, test those because, um, one, I figured if there was something that would work instead of just a random watercolor pencil at Michael's craft store, it w these seem more likely to work. Probably. A hobby design a product. Hobby design product. Yeah. Also, on the back of that box, there's a picture of a, of a dude edge highlighting a rhino with one of the pencils. I I'm saw like, you try to do that. Yeah. It was a total failure. I was it like, was, this is, this it is not going to work. It's terrible. They're too hard. The, the lead is too hard. So yeah. it's like I feel like I'm going to tear off the stuff, and it doesn't leave hardly anything behind. And then I go on the model and the highlight just goes whoop, it's gone <laughs> it's gone um i was really nervous to try to like dampen them a little bit and then try it again because it it was like it was like making muddy puddles dude it was like it was going to be a slip and slide and it, i just knew it was going to fold over the edge and i'm like i don't want to do that not enough accuracy yeah i didn't didn't feel like it was there but end of the day the thing i really was hoping that might help people that edge highlighting is a really thing a lot of people I don't even say that they struggle with. They just dislike, and I think it's because it's one of those things that it is a lot of, like, patience. I think there's so much. I've, in the last year, year and a half, I feel like I've I've learned more about edge highlighting through practice and being cognizant about trying to improve and the little steps that I do to make it better. I've gotten better in the last year than I did in the, probably the previous three, just because you make a concerted effort. And I know that that's like, that's a, it's a big ask from a lot of people. So maybe there was another way that we could make that easier for people. This is not it. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to do something that has no consensus on the internet. That's, yeah. a, that's like a very 15 years ago thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I want to do this thing. There's not an online guide for me. Um, am I going to go to the fucking library to buy a book? Like, no, I'm just going to try. And so, like, one thing I'm dealing with, it's not necessarily hobby-related, is I don't know how to rig up that gaming set so I have a camera coming from top down and it isn't reflecting light off of, like, dice or a glossy game board back into the camera. It's like, how do I know where to put my light so that shit doesn't happen? Uh. It's like it's like a top-down rigging. I've been searching for top-down rigging guides a ton and I can't find anyone that talks about that kind of problem. So I need to just figure out the problem or the solution for myself. And I, you know, you kind of really forget about that often because there are so many readily available solutions online. Yeah. I'm trying to think about like uh, a TV show that uses that kind of shot. A right. Lot. I almost think, um, 
uh, professional poker. So they always ha- they've got, got around the shot cameras of all the players and stuff, but they do have a top down of the table, mm-hmm. and the cards don't reflect. So I wonder if all their lights. I don't know if you ever see a shot of this. Uh, if they're all positioned around the table as opposed to coming from wh- where the camera is. Down, yeah, my okay. my current idea was to put a mirror on my table. That's the approximate size of a game board. And then just look at the camera, and and I could move the lights around on stands. And if I can see the light in the mirror, that means it's going to show up and reflect yeah. into the shot. So I need to move the light a little bit more. But that's that's my current idea. I have no idea what's going to work. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be a correct angle. Yes, angle and distance, right? Yes. There, where the reflection does not hit the the lens as it reflects off that mirror. Yeah, you're right. The mirror would be a really easy kind of stand in. See, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's the kind of problem solving that Google can't solve. Right. You guys got yeah. Got to think about how lights work and why why the problems occurring and and same for this. You have to kind of think about what's this color pencil made out of. Like, mm-hmm. is it similar to any other product that I have experience with, like like oil paints, like acrylics, and mm-hmm. kind of apply some solutions that work with those products. Yeah, and having experience with other things, yes, helps you kind of form your own opinion or jump on. Oh, it's acting like product a different kind of product when I do this. Let's see how much of that like that product this acts. What are the pros and cons versus that product? Yes. And to help me find the correct time to use this one. Yeah. Or this one's simply better in all the reasons I use that product. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good thing. That I really, the one thing I didn't, I mentioned it in the video, but only one time. And I, I, I feel like it's a much more important value. And I don't know how much shows up in the video is the really nice matte finish that these pencils leave with too. It's so nice, especially since I freaking matte coated this whole thing. Before I started, um, thinking that that would give it more grip. Yeah. That one of the one of the articles I read said to do that, so I did it. Yeah, that makes sense. And so the whole model was even matted down. So I didn't maybe notice it at first. And I was like, oh damn, these are dry, really nice and matte. It probably would be even more of a nice contrast to a tannered satin paint. Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, it's just some fun little things that you learn as you go. Yeah. Perfect. Well, welcome to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out all the way to the end, listening to us hammer on about very highfalutin uh, wargaming topics. <laughs> we appreciate your patience with us and trying to discover our what our dissertation would be if we ever had PhDs in miniature wargaming. I'm sure that I can get that kind of PhD at like BYU or something. <laughs> Is BYU some like online college? I was Brigham Young University. And- <laughs> I think it's Mormon or something. Okay. <laughs> Fucking Brigham Young, dude. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> if you want to help support Brigham Young University, how can you do it, Scott? <laughs> you can do it through a number of ways, both free and not free. Uh, if you don't have any cash to spend, you can watch our videos whitelisted through various browser add-ons. We run an ad on YouTube here every 30 minutes. doesn't cost you anything but your time. And it gives us some kickback if you watch those ads. Uh, you can also tell your nerd friends about our podcast so they can listen to it too. You can give us some reviews on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen to them, about uh, what your thoughts are on our podcast. Mm-hmm. Giving us reviews uh, pushes the podcast to other people on those platforms. Um, you can have, uh, if you got some cash to spend, you can uh, pick up some of our merch on Teespring. We have we have got joggers, we got t-shirts, we got cups, we got all kinds of fun stuff. And we also have, I think, three designs now at this point. Like a kind of a fast food one, kind of like a bone bird, like Tendy Destroyer one, and then the classic uh, sprue based one. So a lot of cool designs there for Tup on the Teespring. Um, and you can also support us on Patreon where you get access to an extended episode where we talk about things like new techniques we've tried out in the hobby and have failed with and succeeded with. 
models painted by other folks that we like a lot. And we also give feedback to one of our patrons. So as a patron, you can submit models for us to give feedback to. And also as a patron, you get uh, the opportunity to give us topics to chat about. So if you have ideas for our dissertation, give us those topics and we'll maybe uh, yammer on about them in a future episode. And we're going to be back at you again in a fortnight. But until then, we will catch you on the flippity flop. Bacook.